Attention is this commodity that we all trade in. It is the currency that we use to actually get results. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thank you for joining my session. I'm going to waddle around. I think I'm going to stay on the floor if that's okay, because I feel like that could be a dangerous proposition for me. Yeah, so the other ABM, the rise of attention-based marketing. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to have Kyle come up and join me, and we're going to talk about what Thomson Reuters Legal is doing to drive engagement with their very, very targeted universe of uh, law professionals uh, that they market to. So... um, the background you didn't get. So I've spent the past several years of my career doing what I often call cooking for chefs, marketing, marketing technology to marketers. I was at Eloqua for four years uh, doing demand gen stuff there. And then I built the demand gen team at Lattice Engines, a predictive analytics company. Um, And I've been at Lookbook for a little over a year. We are actually a Toronto-based business. I am the lone American who works for a Canadian company. Um, I often call myself an honorary Canadian, which I don't think they appreciate. They don't actually want me. And so when you market marketing technology to marketers, I mean, the stakes are pretty high. Like, you know, the marketing community expects you to like have everything figured out. And the reality is, as a marketer, I go through the same things that everybody in this room goes through, and I don't have it all figured out. And one of the things that was really exciting to me when I first met the team at Lookbook was one of the problems that they were solving was a problem that I had had for a long time, which is when you get someone to click, when you get someone to engage, when you get them to give you just a second of their time, how do you hang on to it? Um, it's really expensive to you know, get people to engage with you. It's really hard to get people to click on an ad, click on an email, spend a minute with your content. And I had always felt like, okay, but you know, if we're putting all of our time into just getting people to take those actions, we're not focused enough on keeping them once we've got them. And that's really kind of what we're doing with attention-based marketing. So as I just said, I mean, these are sort of the challenges that most of our customers have. You know, when it comes to getting someone's attention, pretty much all of the status quo, all of the things we've been doing for a long time don't work as well as they used to. There's a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of noise. You compete with your competitors. You compete with, um, you know, growing massive amounts of emails. Um, We actually, uh, we announced our Series A round last week, which was very exciting. Um, But uh, so we put out this announcement last Tuesday and I literally have never gotten more sales calls in my life. I was like, oh my God, like my inbox was so full because everybody was like trying to get a piece of me because they're like, you have $4 million, like give me some of it, right? So that's what I'm dealing with. That's what we're all dealing with. Our attention is really distributed. And in addition to that, you know, you're also battling Facebook alerts and Kim and Kanye news and cat videos. And so, right, your buyer is super distracted and trying to get their attention is really, really difficult. And so that's why attention, when we are able to get it, is a gift. I mean, especially if you're doing true account-based marketing and you're trying to, you know, engage with multiple people within an account, you have a finite, you know, universe of accounts you're going after, you have to look at those units of attention as very, very precious and do everything you can to hang on to them. I recently saw this quote from Seth Godin and I thought it was really, you know, appropriate. Once it's gone... Like, you know, so you think about traditional nurtures and things like that. I'm going to send you an email on Thursday, and I'm going to hope that you click on it. And then, like, you know, hey, 
if you're interested, next Thursday, I'll send you another email. Well, that's working on our schedule, not the buyer. The buyer who happens to click on your email this Thursday may actually want to do a bunch of research and consume a lot of content and give you a bunch of attention in that moment. And we as marketers, I think, don't make it particularly easy for buyers to consume a lot of content, to self-educate on the schedule that they want to work on. So this is how we tend to treat attention in a sort of, this is the standard sort of demand gen playbook, and I'm certainly guilty of this, and we all do this, but you, you know, you push out some kind of offer, and maybe it's super targeted, maybe you're using a great tool like Terminus to do this, and doing it at the account level, and pushing out a really personalized, awesome ad, and trying to get somebody to click on it, and then Sally clicks on your ad, and she gives you some form of conversion, she fills out a form or whatever you want her to do to get in your funnel, and then basically what you do is you deliver the asset. You're like, hey, you wanted this thing? Here you go. Thanks. See you later. We'll email you again next Thursday, and hopefully you're paying attention. And Sally, if she is actually a buyer with a real problem she's trying to solve and someone who's trying to self-educate, she's like, that's cool, but I'd actually like some more information. You had her attention in that moment, and you kind of let it go. Because your hope was that the next time you go out and message to her, the next time you touch her, she's going to respond. Or that perhaps after she reads your awesome piece of content, she's going to show up on your website and miraculously find the next three or four things you want her to read as a buyer to truly be educated and qualified. And that's really asking a lot of our buyers, right? That's having a lot of hope in, in how this process should work. And so... You know, we truly believe that attention-based marketing is sort of the next big thing because whether you are really focused on specific accounts or you're doing broader-based, you know, horizontal demand gen, at the end of the day, attention is this commodity that we all trade in. It is the currency that we use to actually get results, to actually drive qualified demand. And if you are not focused on what to do with the attention once you capture it, your buyer won't actually be particularly qualified. They won't be educated. And, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about sort of one of those challenges now. I mean, it's something we can all relate to. You've all bought something expensive. I recently bought a new car because I had to because my car died, which was my husband's fault. I won't talk about that now, but he broke my car. And so I sort of had this urgency around I had to purchase a car. And basically what I would do is I would get in bed at the end of the day. I have a four-year-old. I don't have, like, tons of time to be, like, doing research. But at the end of the day, when I would have, like, time to myself, I would spend, like, half an hour or an hour on my phone, like, doing the car comparisons and, like, trying to talk myself out of the boring car I didn't want and try to find a reason to buy the really awesome car I did want, which I did. But basically my research process was really concentrated. In these moments of time where I was able to devote attention to doing the research, I put a lot of energy into that. And if you've ever bought, I mean, congratulations if you've bought a boat. I've not bought a boat like that. But if you've bought something that's a big ticket item, you don't want to make the wrong decision. Like the last thing you want to do is buy the thing and then realize, Ugh, actually, that's not the thing I wanted or it doesn't work the way I want it. Like the stakes are high, right, when you are making a big purchase. The stakes are higher for B2B buyers. Instead of, you know, being sad that, you know, their TV doesn't have the amazing picture quality they wanted, they could lose their job because they bought the wrong, you know, $1,000 piece of software or hardware or whatever it is, right? So B2B buyers are just like us in our personal lives when we are making purchase decisions. The way they research is not, you know, a piece of content every two weeks. It is these concentrated bursts of attention. It is in the moments when they are willing to, or when they have the time to carve out to do the research, they're doing a lot of research. And we actually call this binging because it's actually not that different than what we all do if you don't have a four-year-old at home, when you sit down to watch Netflix and you're like, I'm going to watch all of the episodes of House of Cards, right? 
That's what I do when my daughter goes to her grandparents' house. I'm like, let's watch all the TV, all at once. And again, and it seems funny to think that that's what buyers do, but if you think about the way that you buy, it is a natural behavior for us to actually sit and consume a lot of information to make sure that we're making the right decision. And that's what attention-based marketing is all about. It's about how do you make that super, super easy for the buyer? How do you remove the friction from the buying process? And how do you also identify when someone is doing that? So to give you a real example, this is actually the main call to action on our website. We're probably the best case study for attention-based marketing because we really sort of drink our own Kool-Aid in this respect. So if you come to our website, one of the primary calls to action is going to ask you to watch this little explainer video to learn what we do. And if you click on it, normally what would happen, you click on a video like that, it would like pop open in a light box or it would take you to another page of the video. What's happening here is it's actually opening in a content experience. This is a lookbook content experience. So that's the video that you see on the main page here, and the video starts to play. And then over on the left-hand side, there's a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure opportunity for the buyer to actually consume other types of content. You know, a lot of times what happens is somebody gets here, they watch the video, they're like, oh, it's pretty cool. I'd like to learn more about what these guys do. Well, look, we've made it really easy for you to learn that. Now, if I hadn't done it this way, this guy would have to leave this video and go seek out that information. But we've packaged it all up for him in a little sequence here where they can consume it. The other thing that sometimes happens is people get here, they watch the video for like 10 seconds, they're like, nah, not what I wanted. But at least we've tried to now convert them or engage them with some other stuff, right? So that's what I'm talking about. That's what these content experiences are all about, and that's how we're trying to capitalize on attention. Kind of a simple idea. And what we see with this is that the intensity around research, like, so when you spend an hour researching cars, when you spend an hour going, you know, doing what my husband does and like obsessing about like the sound quality of his new speakers, it's not because you're not going to buy speakers. It's because you're planning to buy speakers. And it's the same thing that, you know, B2B buyers do. When they spend a ton of time, when they show intensity around research, it's because they are trying to make a decision. They are trying to figure out who to shortlist, who to talk to, you know, what solution to buy. And so the intensity of that content engagement is a big indicator of sales readiness. So the challenge I think we have as marketers is that we've all been really leaning on what I would call proxies for engagement. Today, the leading sort of way that we, you know, calculate intent or look at, you know, who is engaged is, did they click on the thing? Did they fill out the form? Did they visit the website, right? Like, did they do these actions, right? But at the end of the day, somebody can click and fill out your form and download your content. You have no idea if they actually read it. You assume they did. Hey, they took the step that you wanted them to take and they downloaded the thing. And do you know how many times I download things and they just like go to die in my downloads folder? I have like a desktop full of things I meant to read, right? I'm like, oh, I'll get to that on Sunday. No, it's never going to happen, right? So that's a big challenge for us as marketers. We basically take that at face value. We assume that conversion or that action was a signal of intent. But would you treat these clicks the same? So if Bob comes and he clicks on the thing and he spends a total of, I'm bad at math, 10 minutes here, consuming all this content in one of these experiences, as I just showed you, do you actually want to treat it the same as Sally, who does what I do? She clicks on the thing, and then she does nothing with it, right? She spends no time at all. So she clicks on it. She's like, oh, cool. Bye-bye. Really, Bob is your guy. Bob is a guy who just showed a lot of intensity around his research. He is someone who is engaged. He is someone who is trying to actually learn something and make a decision. And we call him a fast-moving buyer. And what we're doing within these content experiences is tracking not only how many assets somebody is consuming, but how long they spend with each one. Did they watch the video for two minutes and then, you know, go over to a blog post, then look at an analyst report, and then go back? We actually calculate all the time that they spend and calculate that and turn it into an engagement score. And it's the same thing at the account level. I mean, again, I think it's actually even harder if you're trying to target 
very, very specifically at the account level. You have to think about the units of engagement that you are creating across the enterprise. And we can do the same thing where, okay, I want to sell to Dell. And now I know that five people from Dell consumed content and actually spent a total of 45 minutes. That's a much better indicator of who my sales rep should go after than the guy, you know, where we targeted at the account level and got maybe one person to come and consume something for two seconds, right? So again, this is the type of, you know, attention-based marketing that we think can be a real driver for helping sales understand where they should spend their time and how they should prioritize. And this is how we put it to work. As I said, I mean, we can calculate engagement um, and then sort of do all kinds of stuff. So one of the things, this is actually a target account alert that we send out from our, we use Marketo. So this is a target account alert that would go to a sales rep. So basically when somebody shows this intensity of engagement, we calculate that to a score. When they reach the threshold, we trigger an alert that goes to the sales rep who owns that account. They can see exactly what asset they consumed. They see exactly who they are. They can click right through to Salesforce. And so basically what we're providing insight into is, hey, you want to penetrate this account? Well, here's five people at this account who are actually showing really deep engagement. You should probably get on it. And you can do all kinds of stuff with this. Um, we take these engagement scores. We actually use them to augment our lead score. So if someone meets our engagement threshold in a content experience, we increment their score by 10 points, accelerate it, try to move them into the fast lane. You know, you can basically take these scores and say, if somebody reaches this level, I want to move them over here into this level of nurture or to this different type of campaign. So again, it's giving marketers another dimension of, you know, intent and interest that they can use to basically identify who is truly engaged and sales ready. So again, it's really all about removing friction from the buying process. It's making it super easy for buyers. It's making them not have to work so hard to learn the things they want to learn everybody's focused on creating content. Everybody's focused on how to promote that content and get it in the hands of their buyers. What most marketers are not focused on today is what happens when they get there. What is the content experience that they have? And we see across our customers that when prospects demonstrate this type of intensity, when they do this sort of binging behavior, they're 2.4 times more likely to be sales accepted. It's because they're more educated. It's because they've actually done some research. We know they've consumed content. We know they've learned some things, right? They move a lot faster through the funnel. And they have higher ACVs. Again, a well-educated prospect, someone who has really done their research and been educated, someone who has shown that type of intensity is going to be a better prospect. They're going to be worth more to you. And you don't have to take my word for it. We're going to talk to Kyle in a second, but I thought I'd highlight uh, a customer who's been doing some really interesting stuff with us um, who runs the demand center for Intel Security. So basically, almost 50% of their visitors now, because they serve their content in this way, they will consume more than one asset. And think about the implication of that. If all I delivered was one asset, I didn't even put that on the table. I didn't give them the option to do that, right? They're spending a lot more time with content. They're increasing their conversion rates. And the other thing that we don't push on this a lot, but I actually think it's very, very important if ABM is a big strategy for you and, and part of what you're trying to do, it's really hard to create very targeted campaigns at scale. It's hard to create a microsite with multiple assets and make sure you have various landing pages with different pieces of content for different people. To create content experiences like this, it takes a fraction of the time. And so we see customers who want to spin up individual tracks and campaigns at the account level, and they're able to reduce the time it takes to do that by, you know, days and days. And so, you know, they've seen their ability to actually get a new nurture out the doors has been um, cut more than in half. So, uh, what we're going to do now is I'm really excited to have Kyle Johnson join me up here. Uh, he runs marketing, the marketing automation practice for Thomson Reuters Legal, a longtime customer of Lookbook HQ. I'm really happy he's here because he was stuck 
in like Detroit last night. I got an email from her at like 10 o'clock. He's like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. And I was like, hmm, that's going to be interesting. Um, but he did make it. And he got in at 2.30 this morning. So thank you for, for joining. Come on up. So the first thing I was going to ask Kyle about was, so Thompson Reuters is obviously in the information business, and as such, getting people to consume information is a pretty big, important part of what they do. And so can you talk a little bit about sort of what marketing is trying to get people to do, what, you know, what you're trying to get them to engage with, sort of what marketing looks like for you guys? Sure. So for Thompson Reuters Legal Historically, what we've done is we were offenders of the exact scenario that Elle was pointing out earlier. We would take emails, we'd send to people very targeted segments on a regular cadence, push people to a piece of content, hoping that they convert on that one piece of content and then move on, rinse and repeat, week in and week out. The ultimate goal for our marketing purposes was to drive trials, which would ultimately lead to sales. And I like to say you guys were doing ABM before ABM was cool, because you have a really, really targeted market that you sell to. It's pretty finite. There's not a lot of room for broad-based marketing. So can you talk about sort of who you target and how you target them? Yep, absolutely. So we target law firms and law departments within the U.S., or North America, rather. And within that space, just like Elle was saying, it is a very targeted and finite space. We have roughly 90,000 law firm lawyers in the U.S., and the number of law department lawyers is unknown, but it's far fewer than that, probably around 50,000 is our best guess, which means that we have roughly 140,000 people in our space that we can market to, pushing them to a number of different products that TR offers. And most of your marketing is focused on that known audience of people that you're constantly trying to go back and get them to do more stuff with you. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's uh, illustrates a challenge that a lot of marketers have. You know, like if you are constantly sort of going back to the same people and trying to get them to engage in the same ways, I think what happens is, and we see this with a lot of our customers, they kind of run out of runway. The status quo doesn't work anymore. You can only send so many emails. You can only push so many ads before you go like, okay, like how do we get more out of what we've got? So can you talk a little bit about how you got to the point where you knew you needed to do something different and sort of what you decided to do and what the drivers were and all that? Yep, absolutely. So it was that runway that we were running out of. As I said, we have a very finite space that we're working off of. And in the legal space, there is a ranking called the AMLA 200, and that identifies the 200 largest law firms in the United States. Of the AMLA 200, we have 87% of those closed as customers, which leaves the 13% of the holdouts. And so it's those 13% who we've been marketing to just as long going through the same sort of motion, email, landing page, form, trial, hopefully. And we found out that these the remaining 13%, they're tough to get, and they just aren't biting on what we've been doing in the past. And so we were presented with the challenge of saying, okay, we know that what we're doing isn't working and that we're not converting these last outstanding groups, so what are we going to do to, to, to close the gap and get those people signed on? And so we started looking at, at different opportunities of way to serve up content, thinking about different ways and different types of campaigns that we can run, in order to get those people moved over. And so that's where we started to move into a sort of an exploratory phase, going through and looking at all sorts of different solutions, trying to figure out what it is that we can do to get people to convert, ultimately finding ourselves um, with Lookbook. And then we did a conversation. From there. Like, so when you recognized you had this problem and mm-hmm. you decided you had to do something about it, like, what kind of things were you exploring? Like, what did you think your options were? We were all over the place. And lawyers, no offense if any are in here, but aren't really the most exciting group of people to market to. You know, so things like video marketing and whatever other cool stuff that marketers do isn't really applicable for our group. They're very, you know, sort of straight and uh, buttoned up groups. So we had to be work within those confines and look for creative, fun solutions that are going to be applicable to our audience. And so we were just looking for different things and really all over the place, ranging from Vigard or, you know, just different video content things, which we tried, didn't really work out for us, all the way to 
I mean, really, you name it, we've done, done it all. So eventually you landed on this idea that there was a different way to serve up content and a different way to engage buyers, mm -hmm. and you decided you would give that a shot. Talk a little bit about sort of like what you did and how you rolled it out and sort of... Sure. So once we came across Lookbook as a solution, we signed up right off the bat. We were pretty <laughs> impressed by it. And so what we did was we started off by solving the immediate need, which was to get people to try and engage with more content, moving people from a prospect all the way through a trial by in the form. And so what we did was we started off with basically taking the old approach that we did, email landing page form trial. Taking that from like email to multiple pieces of content, ones that would support different user cases and such. And so then offering people more options, just like you were saying, and then giving those people to select which content they're interested in, and then hopefully converting to a trial. And the people did it. Yeah. So we found, we were looking at metrics but before this, but just in general, we were looking at, we found that the amount of time spent on our landing pages versus the amount of time on our lookbooks that we were providing, lookbook content or lookbook consumption was about two and a half times higher than our sale content landing pages. So people were engaging more. And you think that's just because you were giving them more options? That's the only thing that's changed. So, that's yeah. the only thing that's changed. Cool. And so, okay, so you made the switch. Like, can you talk a little bit about, like, was it a hard switch to make? Was it painful? Was it, like, what did you guys have to do differently besides just serve up content in a different way? Was that primarily it? That really was primarily it. It was really quite simple. I have a team of developers, and so we technically were good to go. And then Lookbook didn't offer any challenges with that. So it was really just taking the content that we were already building out, and instead of having it in disparate places, doing piecemeal, just putting it all into one place and putting it into the tool. And I said something before about how that reduces the time it takes to create a campaign. Am I telling stories or is that true? True story. So prior to using Lookbook and rolling that out, what we did was we built a bunch of microsites. Just like you were saying, super time consuming. And for the standout, 13% of those Amlog group, we would build out specific microsites for them. Very time consuming and oftentimes, you know, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And so what we did was we've built out these lookbooks and it really is a breeze. And I don't need my HTML developers to build out the content. It's actually my more standard marketers per se that are building out the lookbooks. Cool. You know, it's one of these things that like, I talk about and sometimes my CEO is like, don't talk about that. That's like, no one cares about that. And I'm like, marketers care about that because if you've ever, uh, so I had a, um, I'm wondering if she's in the room. So I had a marketing ops manager when I worked at Lattice and um, she used to talk about when she was like building assets, which would be building landing pages, particularly in Marketo. She used to say she invented a word for it. It made her murdery. Um, and I now I use that all the time. I'm like, nothing makes you more murdery. Um, and you know, it, it, again, like not to say that you need to be a developer or whatever, but like it helps to have some HTML skills. And if you want to make them look beautiful and you want to like put multiple assets on them and you want to get creative with them, like it's not super easy. It takes a long time. When I started at Lookbook, uh, I was like, oh my God, it's so easy that I can do it. Like I got trained in a half an hour and the next thing I know, I was like, I built a lookbook. Look at this. This is amazing. So I do think, you know, that's a big challenge for people who are trying to scale these types of really targeted campaigns. Like when people first started to talk about ABM and really getting serious about ABM, I was like, who has the resources to do that? Like that's like a lot, you need a lot of like an army of people building campaigns and content and whatever. I will say, again, it's a much more personal benefit, but, you know, just being able to kind of scale those efforts and say, you know what, I, and I, this happens to me a lot. I have a sales rep who's like, I'm going after this specific set of accounts or these verticals or whatever. I need a, I want to send them like three emails and I want the, you know, experiences to be like this and I want to have these assets in them. 
And if I, back in the day when I worked at Eloqua, if I had to, had to do that myself and like build the landing pages and the email, I would have been like, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. But now I live in this world where it's like really, really easy to say yes to things because I'm like, that's fine. Just tell me what you want to stick in there and we'll, we'll build it. It really is that easy to spin one of these content experiences up. Yeah, and it really is. And just to piggyback on that, we've gone from a place to where we would have a very long lead up time. The slide up there, I think, was seven days or something. But when we went from microsites to lookbooks, the turnaround time really has dipped significantly and it allows us to support the sales team. So you talked a little bit about um, the engagement now you see through the lookbooks and any other kind of metrics, like what's next? What are you guys going to do? Yeah, so what next? So we're an Eloquest shop. And so the next step is what we're going to do is we're piping the engagement from Lookbook into Eloqua. We've begun building out automated campaigns for the people who are expressing engagement in the Lookbook assets, dropping them into Eloqua campaigns, pushing them back into more Lookbook assets. And so that's one thing that we're doing. Then the other cool thing that we're about to do or roll out is one thing I really love about Lookbook and one thing that sold me was that you're able to take demographic information that you know about the individual in Eloqua and then send them a tailored message or path based off of what you know about them. And we have a, uh, some of our data is better than others, but we have pockets of really phenomenal data. And so we're using that, or we will be using that to send people down particular nurturing streams. Cool, awesome. Well, thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Total trooper. He had like a very large coffee before he came in here. Um, (laughs) And that's it. Do we have time for questions? Can we open it up? Any questions? Have any questions questions? at all? Have any questions at all? Yeah, so the question was, sexy marketing stuff isn't for my audience. What are we doing? And so what we do is Thomson Reuters has roughly 86 products. Some of them are very content-centric. Some of them are more plug-ins to help people make their job you know, easier. And so it depends on, on which sort of product we're doing, but it really is all about pushing for the products that offer up content. It's about displaying the content and giving them teasers, saying, hey, Here's this piece of content that because of what we know about you, we know that you're probably going to be interested in this content. So we're doing that. Other ones where it's more of a solution to try and solve a problem or plug into tools that they're already using, we go through and we show examples of how our solutions plug into their workflows. But interestingly, like we actually work with a couple of divisions of Thomson Reuters, and one of them is tax and accounting. And one of the leading examples that we always show is like one of the first assets they drive to is a video. Mm-hmm. Like so. I wouldn't have thought that like accountants would be super jazzed about that kind of stuff, but apparently accountants and lawyers are very different in how they (laughs) want to consume content. Flip My Funnel is on a mission to build the largest and most engaged community of B2B professionals in the world. Join the movement at flipmyfunnel.com. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.